you want to drive really compelling human experiences, whether you're a consumer or a large enterprise, and we're all just people, Peter, you know, like we just want to have a great experience. I don't want to spend a lot of time toiling away because I'm at a big company. I still want everything to be really smooth. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Jen Felch. Jen is the Chief Information Officer and Chief Digital Officer of Dell, a technology company that provides the essential infrastructure for organizations to transform the digital futures and earns in excess of $100 billion in annual revenue. Jen's been in her role for over four years, and she's been with Dell for nearly 20 in all. She's a culture champion within the company and a driver of innovation. She's also an advocate on behalf of the company with its customers, many of whom are her peers as tech and digital chiefs. I look forward to hearing more about her tenure, her plans for the future, and more through this conversation. Jen, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Peter, thanks for having me in that uh, wonderful introduction. No, it's a great it's a great pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. Well, Jen, um, almost everyone who would be listening to this certainly is familiar with Dell. Many of them are probably listening to this through Adele. Um, but I wonder <laughs> if you could still take a moment and provide just a brief thumbnail sketch, as brief as is as is possible with an organization as uh, large and and with the breadth that Dell has. But but take a moment and describe the business if you would. Okay, I would love to. Um, you know, I guess let's let's just start, we're one of the few companies that is still founder-led. You know, Michael Dell started the company in 1984 in his dorm room. And, you know, the, the story is it's a belief and passion that everyone should have easy access to technology. Over the last many years, nearly 40 years, that's taken on a variety of different forms, starting from developing PCs, computer hardware, manufacturer, expanding to infrastructure solutions and services and multi-cloud, but all behind that kind of same premise of listening to customers and bringing technology to them to enable human progress, to really drive the world forward. And, you know, maybe another angle when we think about Dell, depending on the audience, they often think of Wow. And, you know, Michael Dell took the company private and what happened there? Well, he did. He took the company private in uh, 2013, so a little over 10 years ago. And something that had been in the works for many, many years was an interesting partnership that we had with EMC. And while private completed a historic acquisition of a $67 billion acquisition of, you know, an incredible company with a long history of great technology around storage. And then in 2018, uh, we became publicly traded again. So sometimes people, you know, can think about Dell as this incredible technology. They know, we know it as CIOs and technologists, we know about the products and the solutions. And then you look what an incredible leader we have um, leading the company that has technical prowess, the financial acumen to really continue to lead a very large and successful company. So that is a little bit of history of, of Dell and maybe a little bit of why it's such a pleasure to be the CIO here. Yeah. Well, take a moment and talk about that role, if you would. What's what's within your purview, please? I gave you that long history about how close the company and everyone in the company is to our customers. And so that is a pretty awesome role to be the internal leader of technology. So I get a lot of great advice from across the company, but my remit includes really operating all the systems that operate the company from our online experience with consumers to large enterprises, of course, all of our systems from sales to HR to supply chain services, 
all of the solutions that our team members use every day, our team member experience. A lot of that includes, you know, incredible Dell equipment and solutions. And then we also operate a very large private cloud so that in all cases, we talk about being customer zero, but we also aspire to be a reference about what, you know, what we're doing internally, what we're doing as an IT leadership team with access to incredible technology. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit further about that, that customer zero and that perspective you have different from so many of your peers, where you are the first user of many of the products, uh, commentator on it, no doubt, and providing uh, feedback on, on things that are working or can be accentuated or turned off as the case may be, but also the ability, therefore, to be um, a counselor to your peers, many of whom are, are the, the company's customers, that must make for a very interesting and varied not only set of responsibilities, but interactions across the tech landscape as well. Is that is that fair? It is really fun to be an early adopter because you get to see technology really early and see some incredible things come to life and get to um, have input on that. So that's really fun. And then sometimes it's a little bit less fun when we have to describe that we're a very big organization and not all products are designed for us. So as a company, we design things for consumers through small businesses, medium businesses, and of course, large businesses. And so 130,000 employees were definitely a large business. So we give that feedback in the most positive way, like this is really awesome. And it's probably well-suited for a mid-sized company because, and then you know, we explain why. I think it's good for us as an organization because it kind of keeps us on our toes about how we're operating internally as well. Those who receive the feedback, they push us, so it makes us stronger. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's it's funny, in, in both of your answers, you've referenced naturally the fact that you have traditional consumers, but you also serve enterprises. You're a customer zero from an enterprise perspective. You're also a consumer as we all are. And I wonder, you know, as you think about experience across the continuum from consumers to enterprises, how one impacts the other. Uh, again, you, you live both of those, even if this is my assumption, perhaps the formal customer zero program uh, focuses more on the enterprise side of this. But how do you think about the inter interplay between consumer experience versus enterprise experience? Oh, I just love that. I love that question. So the descriptions that I provided are often about the size of the organization or the household. But at the end of the day, we are all people that interact with our systems. And so the kind of experience that a consumer will demand about ease of use, ease of buying, you know, how easy is it for me to get support? You know, we just want to be kind of using the technology without thinking about it. So that user-centered experience that comes from the consumer environment really does permeate in our interactions across the board. And I think that's super important because you want to drive really compelling human experiences, whether you're a consumer or a large enterprise, and we're all just people, Peter, you know, like we just want to have a great experience. I don't want to spend a lot of time toiling away because I'm a, at a big company. I still want everything to be really smooth. So we look at a metric we call frictionless, um, just as an example to say, you know, how do we make these experiences frictionless? And Traditionally, they've been frictionless for consumers for a long time. And we've brought those same metrics to the enterprise to say, 
should be frictionless for everyone, not just consumers, right? Like just take those touches out of the way because even though our businesses may be complex, doesn't mean our processes need to be. What a great insight that is. I really appreciate you you uh, reflecting on that. Um, Jen, I also wanted to ask you, I, I know like any organization, especially one with a storied history like yours, um, as well as one at the scale of yours, a role like yours needs to be mindful of ongoing modernization, uh, modernization of, of of people practices, of processes, certainly of course of technology itself as well. And I wonder how you how you think about managing that, uh, especially at the scale that you have, because so much of what you're describing, in order to be frictionless, uh, it means that you're getting sort of the small things right, so to say. And a lot of those small things can go wrong um, if if in fact you're not sort of remaining vigilant and making sure that you're maintaining more modern practices. I talk a bit about your philosophy from that perspective, if you would. You know, I feel like it's pretty common for all IT leaders of trying to find, you're, you're really ser- searching for a balance that says, we might have some legacy systems that operate our big company and everybody's asking for like whiz bang, you know, kind of uh, they're asking for the sizzle, you know, the exciting stuff on top. And we all have to find that balance that says we're going to need to, you know, we might call it like modernize the core or have a solid foundation for the future so that we can do those really exciting things that everyone everyone is looking forward to. And I think that's a little bit of the art of being an IT leader is to make sure that you are truly mastering the basics, whether it's availability and security, while still having time to engage with your business partners to help transform their processes. So I think about it as we have this dual role, and one is to operate within our function, the function of IT, to do it efficiently, to do it in a productive way, to do it in a modern way. And then we also play an instrumental role in every process across the company to make sure that they're also able to transform. And we have stories of, you know, our friends who may have had these roles and maybe didn't find that right balance, either too much on the, this will be awesome. I won't spend as much on whatever it might be, getting rid of tech debt, or I always think of it, it's the stuff nobody asks for when it's time for roadmap planning. Nobody asked like, hey, let's finally retire that system or update those protocols or do whatever. Nobody asked for that. But that's our job is to find that balance of taking care of the foundation, taking care of the architecture so that we can continue to innovate and provide great solutions. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, we saw each other recently and, and had a chance to talk a little bit about culture. You know, you've been with the organization, as I mentioned, for a couple of decades now. And so obviously there's something special there that has kept you there, uh, but you're also not alone. I know there are other leaders and, and people throughout the organization who've had rather long tenures there. But I, and, and so I wonder how you would describe the culture. What about it makes it magnetic? Uh, and also, how do you tune it to be sort of um, ready to transform in some of the ways you've already described? That's a good question. So I think the first thing, um, just my own philosophy is you always hire, recruit, steal the best people. Okay. So you just are relentless about bringing the best people and then create an environment where they can thrive. And if you think about uh, some of the things that we may really want in our environment is we want to know like, what's the purpose of what I'm doing? Why is it important? What's the context? We all love to have context because it helps to fuel that inner motivation, right? It's not just, oh, go do whatever. 
I mean, not very many people want to just do tasks. You want to achieve something. And then, you know, luckily for us, we invest in our team to have training and new skills. And then we have this incredible platform to practice. So you can practice using new technology deployments, getting feedback from users and continue to iterate. What I find about the culture is we have incredible people that love to collaborate. They have access to kind of sharpen the saw, build their own skills, technical leadership within our digital organization. We have lots of programs to do that at various stages of all of our careers. And then we get to practice on an enormous scale and an enormous stage and you get that feedback. I think that's really fun. And truth is, sometimes we make mistakes. We all do. We make mistakes. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things happen that we don't expect. And I think the biggest sign of how, or maybe a good way to help see what a culture is really like is what do you do when that happens? Do we rally and solve the problem and then say, okay, how did we get there and how are we going to address that and we go forward so we don't see the same problem over and over again? And one of the things I love about our team is we have a pretty relentless focus on like, we don't really want to spend our time dealing with issues and stuff. Let's be really proactive about building reliability into our systems, about building security into our solutions so that we can try to spend as much time as possible being proactive and doing future work. And it's a big part of the culture is sometimes things aren't going to go right. So face into them, fix them and move on fast. And how do you, um, as you think about innovation, uh, incorporating it into the daily rhythm of so many members of your team, you know, how, how do you think about creating a culture that is open to innovation as well and, and willing to take risks, um, recognizing that the, the batting average is not going to be a thousand, but, but in fact, by necessity, it means trying a lot of really interesting things. You know, how, how do you think about that? I mean, I guess I don't know what it would be like if we didn't have the freedom to innovate. I mean, I don't know. So it kind of comes back to the question of saying, if you provide people with a good context of the problem that we're trying to solve, then they're free to innovate on the solution. You might have some architectural boundaries that you set up, but free to innovate on what is the best way to solve this problem. And then setting things up so that we can try small experiments, we learn from them, and then we keep going. Because you know, you want to harness the power of all of the talent that you have on your team. And that's not going to happen if you're going to tell everybody what to do and how to write solutions and how to design things. Like, you know, someone once said, sometimes the smartest people don't rise to the top. So you have to remember that because, you know, you want people who are super engaged coming up with great solutions. And uh, within our organization, you know, we have lots of pretty I mean, I think they're really cool innovations. You know, I love them. I'm constantly talking to our product group of how they should commercialize them because they're super powerful and they're things that you would call them an innovation, but they're really to solve a very specific problem. I think our team over the last, probably the last three to four years is over 250 patents. So it's pretty cool when our objective is let's solve some problems and create some great solutions for our company and then innovate along the way. Yeah, you've spoken about the necessity to think about innovation in small steps that oftentimes like we think about the the grand innovation where something comes out of nowhere that didn't exist previously, but but one must also think about smaller incremental innovation that actually can lead to some pretty remarkable benefit as well. So is that fair enough? It's totally fair. And plus, 
you know what else happens that way is you get feedback. You're like, oh, you know, give some feedback. And that can fuel the innovation or it can, you know, maybe redirect you right away, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder if you could take a moment and talk a bit about some of your perspectives, speaking of innovative topics on artificial intelligence, uh, generally in, in Gen AI more specifically, and how you've been thinking about uh, each and their use and potential or actual um, value derived in an organization like yours. I, I will just say, like, working at Dell, you know, we are a leader in compute and storage, so it's awesome. We have a lot of horsepower behind us, right, when we start thinking about doing things like AI. And if I think about our journey of being a large organization, very data-driven, you know, our supply chain is um, our supply chain is expansive, and I'm going to give you use that as an example, is we have been using AI in our supply chain for decades, for a very long time. It continues to get better and better and better with um, the development of different engines and different algorithms that we're using, but just the data and being able to do the kind of um, analytics with the horsepower behind us. So I love it. And we, you know, offer those same solutions to our customers. And now, you know, when we think about um, Gen AI, I think we're seeing kind of a similar, uh, maybe we maybe we bring the innovation piece uh, into it too. And what we're seeing with Gen AI is a balance between, you know, what kinds of things are we going to be doing in the public cloud with more open uh, Gen AI solutions or LLMs? And then what are we doing on uh, in our own environment with uh, our own infrastructure to develop new sources of value and new sources of intellectual property based on the knowledge we have of our business, of our uh, kind of customer information and aggregate. It's pretty impressive when we think about it. And I think, you know, one thing I would say, one of our um, customers talking about this recently to say, it's pretty easy to get like a pretty good AI model going. It actually takes a lot more effort to build a great one because there's a lot of work that goes into tuning and refining. I think it's incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful what we all as technology leaders now have at our fingertips to bring, you know, bring solutions to light and help people come up with really, like really different ideas right? Different ways of thinking about uh, their work and, and what's going on. You know, not only are we doing that kind of work internally, we're doing it really hand in hand with our customers like um, Princeton University just, you know, is building out their uh, AI data center, their high performance computing cluster for LLMs for new level of discovery, which is pretty awesome, right? When we think about that. Similarly, at University of Limerick. So we're we're seeing the educational institutes really look to say, how do we bring that horsepower, I guess that's what we'll call it, to build out new foundational models, build out new aspects of AI. And it's pretty awesome that they're doing that really hand in hand with with Dell. And so I love being able to get to see those things too. 
And I know, Jen, again, from our past conversations that, you know, as you think about innovation and innovative topics like artificial intelligence or generative artificial intelligence, um, cybersecurity is is always a thread that's pulled through that to ensure that a, as you are exploring new topics and new, new, new ways of working, new opportunities, new value streams, that maintaining the sanctity of, of uh, the cybersecurity posture is very important as well. Can you talk a bit about how you think about weaving those together to ensure that you are on the one hand, experimenting effectively, but doing so in a way that also safeguards the enterprise. Yeah, that's a great uh, a great question. So, you know, I often talk about um, security being a top priority, and we spend we spend a lot of time in our we'll call it like our more traditional role when it comes to AI. You know, we have access to these great tools, but so do our adversaries. So, you know, when I think about it, it's really thinking about how, where we're putting our data so that we're really clear about kind of the risk that we're taking on with AI, that we know where our data resides and who has access to it and what kinds of things we might be training on or the data is being used for training other models. I think that is really important. And it kind of comes back to mastering the basics. We all have to master the basics when it comes to security, whether that is scanning and patching and making sure that we're doing our backups. And someone once said it's 80% of it is really in doing the basics and 80% of us are not actually doing that. So that's what creates an opportunity. But I think that there is an enormous opportunity though for AI to help with security as well as many, many other things. You know, we typically think about having a large setup, you know, lots of GPUs sitting in a data center, you know, crunching out these models. But I think what we see, and we see it in practice, I see it in practice of the way a lot of people are getting started with their models is really leveraging their PCs, right? And I think we're gonna end up seeing a lot more intelligence happening, intelligence either built in or we'll all start adopting kind of do, being able to do more work locally, which I think will help us in the security front too, so that we don't have to uh, wait for things to get a little further into our environment before they're discovered. Very well said. Uh, Jen, I, I wanted to also ask you, we, we've already talked about a number of, of, of trends, but I wonder, are there others as you look to the future that particularly excite you that are making their way onto your roadmap that you would underscore? Oh, for trends... I, I have to say, like, every time um, I'm super excited about what AI can do for us because there are kind of traditional uses, like we're going to predict a forecast, we're going to predict something going on, like if we're thinking about sort of machine learning and that, that aspect, and we see what can be done with generating new documentation or marketing materials and even even um, source code, but I'm always amazed at the stories of what how people have been very creative about their use and the problems that they're solving. So I'm super inspired by that. I think if we were to talk again in six months or nine months, we might be telling a whole different set of stories about what people are doing, you know? Well, we'll have to do that, Jen. I I, I agree with you. <laughs> We're going to share some stories. Yeah. Of like, <laughs> wow, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think about that. You know, if you think about the applications in the legal world, or, I mean, I was just listening to a customer talk about what they were doing on uh, reading medical imaging and being able to apply AI to it, or, 
you know, looking for, you know, tax benefits. Like I, I mean, it's really kind of eye opening when we start looking at what others are doing and how we can be applying that in our own world and our own businesses. So I think creating a safe place to experiment is an imperative for all of us in uh, technology so that we can learn fast. Very well said. I wanted to conclude, Jen, by asking you as somebody who has a role like yours, and as you reflect on your path to it, what have been some of the difference makers along the way or the secrets to your success um, that have helped helped you reach the heights you have? <laughs> uh, well, that's a that is a good question. I would say at times this is a curse and at times it's a blessing. And it's the fact that I am very much an experiential learner, like hands-on. I love a factory tour. I love seeing things being made. I'm a builder. Okay. I just would say that I'm a builder. And so I think there's something about uh, doing that and being curious to understand what can go right, what can go wrong that I don't know has, has served me well and continues to serve me well. I mean, I love what I do. That's very, very apparent. Well, Jen, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time with me, sharing some of your own perspectives, areas that you and the team are focused on, some of the philosophy behind the way you manage the organization. Uh, It's really been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me, Peter. I'm going to follow up and see what everyone's doing in AI, if you want. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Looking forward to it.